McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Bobby fans and welcome to your forecast episode 131. Well it was a quality performance against Sheffield Wednesday and a good point but still no goals. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hello Hugh. Yeah not too bad thank you man. Um, keeping pretty well. How about yourself? Welcome back bro. I know you had a bit of a cameo appearance on the last podcast doing the interviews for the Gillingham games etc but it's good to have you back on the show permanently full time. Thank you, mate. Yeah, uh, weird to be away for a few weeks, but nice to have a bit of normality back. Thank you very much. Yeah, a little bit of a refresh. Everyone needs a bit of a break from my face and Freddie's face on camera occasionally. So I'm glad you've managed to recover from that travesty and uh, move on in life. But uh, talk about a, Freddie Webb. A, a massive hole in my week every week, buddy. The last few <laughs> yeah. weeks, not being there. <laughs> talk about Freddie Webb. He's joining me here now. How are you, Freddie? Not so bad, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah, just... The usual from me, really. Not not loads going on. Uh, watched a fair amount of Portsmouth live, which was good and bad. So we'll go into that in a bit more detail later on. And talk about people who made a cameo appearance on the podcast last week. There was another person who would have been on the podcast if it wasn't for me chatting absolute shit in the background with proudly ruining the audio. But joining us today is Rob. How are you, Rob? I'm good, thanks to you. Uh, yeah, it's my first podcast appearance since the end of season review after the Oxford playoff defeat. So we've played 67 league games since. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a podcast that was. You know, we were all really calm during that podcast, I remember. I think we, were, we, we were, it was definitely passionate, that episode. So. We were all very stoic, weren't we? And Andy was getting drunk in the park. Yeah, I think I did about 4,000 steps walking up and down outside Brewdog Paddington just absolutely raging while we recorded that. They were good times, lads. Just um, swigging out of an Asda bottle of vodka, just walking up and down the road, wasn't it? It was just another Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, casual, like that. And then again, I think all the Pompey fans listening will completely relate to that, mate, because that was absolutely terrible. But we're not we're not dealing with that now. We're, we're actually dealing with something all right. So let's get, let's get into it. So first of all, we're going to review the rather disappointing loss to Harrogate. Following from that, we're going to talk about the draw against Shepherd Wednesday. And then we put a question out to you guys. And with the injury bug, whatever you want to call it, that's hit the Pompey squad, quite obvious that there's, there's still quite a lot to add in depth-wise. And we asked you guys, where the Pompey need to add in the January transfer window to get this squad together as we move into December now? Finally, we spoke to Dave Salmon from Beyond Radio and the commentator for Morecambe Football Club for iFollow to get the lowdown on everything you need to know about the game against Morecambe on Saturday. Right, let's go. Harrogate. That's right, Freddie. Didn't say Harrogate. I'm getting my uh, my good Yorkshire man, man. Yorkshire pronunciation better. I'm not going to try and do the accent because it sucks. But focusing back on the game here, 
probably started quite brightly in this game. I mean, to a certain level, we had quite a few chances. Jacobs does well in one chance. He sort of skips past a few players, you know, finding Harrison, who lays it off to Harness, who, who gets a shot on target. And that's the, that's the first thing you want to, someone to do when they're shooting on goal. It doesn't quite get the, doesn't quite get the, get the right connection. It's quite an easy save for the keeper. A few more chances like that, you know, Aziz from, from a corner and he hits a volley trying to break the duck of Pompey scoring from a corner. But how did you think the game started? Because I wasn't there. I couldn't make it down. So, Freddie, I'm going to go to you, who was standing, freezing his ass off in the back of the fratten end. And did it seem like when that was going on that Pompey would be the team to get the first goal? Uh, Pompey were in complete, pretty much complete control in the first half an hour. Like you said, having the majority of the chances. It was a bit of a strange team, obviously, because of the sickness bug. So, Jacobs was sort of playing up front near, near enough with Harrison drifting away sometimes but yeah with the amount of chances that Pompey were getting and the control in the midfield they seemed on top of it really Harrogate were able to win the ball back often enough that it, they the side looked like they were a threat <laughs> which definitely turned out to be late, later in the half but yeah I didn't I, I didn't really expect um, uh, Harrogate to score first uh, and it was down to an error in midfield unfortunately We'll talk about the squad depth a bit later on and the issues we've got with that. But focusing on that mistake, it's a mistake by Sean Williams in the midfield, really, and he gets turned over straight away. Goes back the other way. Again, you could say against the run of play, but gives it away. It's sloppy. Luke Armstrong picks the ball up and he tucks it away really clinically, doesn't he, Andy? Yeah, to be fair, it's a good finish. I think you can be... It's very easy to be critical, isn't it? Obviously, it's a, a poor touch from uh, from Williams to give it away. Being super critical, you could say that Raggett lets him cut in a little bit too easily onto a stronger foot, but it is still a very, very good finish. It's a good touch to set up the opportunity from him, and then obviously Bazunu's got no chance with it. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a decent finish, and I don't really feel like they deserve to be ahead at that point in the game. But at the same time, if you don't take your chances and then you give away possession in a dangerous area. You know, you, you're going to get punished, and especially when you're playing lower league opposition. You generally think they're not going to get that many chances in a game on average. If they then take the chances they do get, then they punish you for being, you know, wasteful in front of goal. Is the word profligate? Is that a word? I don't know. Freddie, your dictionary corner. He was just clinical in front of goal. It's just, you know, go with that. Is it, are we, do we have to put a jingle in now for dictionary corner again? The most yeah, yeah, crawling part of the show. Yeah, no, mate, I've Googled it. It's all good. Profligate. Recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources. I think you could say that Pompey were reasonably profligate at times in that. I'm just buzzing that we got the definition right this time around, Fred, rather than giving that literal Oh, God, don't remind me. The literal antonym of what we were talking about. Anywho, haven't you missed like the last four weeks of actually staying on topic without me here? Yeah, anyway, yeah, bad mistake. I think Raggett could do slightly better and not let him move on to his strong foot so easily. Good finish. Pompey on the back foot. I'll shut up now. No, it's a nice one. And uh, thanks for getting the definition right this time, Andy, so I don't have to keep mentioning it on our mentions on the on the PO forecast hey, Twitter. Dr. Andy to you. Dr. Andrew, sorry, as it says in the uh, in the interview coming up. Um, yeah, okay, so let's move on. But Pompey managed to get a goal back just before half-time. The unlikely hero, Ellis Harrison, gets the gets the equaliser. Rob, what did you think of Harrison's performance in the first in the first uh, half, and then going on from that, how he took that finish? I wasn't at the game, but I did watch the highlights, and what I could make from the highlights was that he played 
better than he has done. But I guess he's not really had a, many starts this season. It's one of them that he took the finish reasonably well. It was just frustrating that we that we weren't able to to take chances earlier in the, the half and in the second half as well, where we could have and probably should have been comfortable before Harrogate got the last minute winner. Yeah, absolutely. And then without dwelling too much on this game part, we will talk about the we'll go we'll get into some of the nitty gritty in a second, but let's talk about that goal at the end. Romeo and, and Williams again, Williams sort of a defender, sort of run into each other a little bit in the centre of play and the centre of the park, sorry. Then the ball goes back out wide. And at that moment, Pompey just looks so unorganised. And it seems to be a little bit of a theme for me for Pompey that when teams manage to turn us over in the centre of midfield and move the ball quickly, Pompey seemed to be scrambling a little bit to get back in, into position. It seems to be a little bit of a theme we've noticed as, as the season's gone on. And when the ball goes wide and you just think this is going to go in, and it would have to be Jack Diamond, wouldn't it? The Sund- you know, the Sunderland low knee. You know, obviously Brody actually messaged the guy who uh, helped us preview the game, you know, highlighted him as the danger man. So he got the score right as well, which makes me jealous, getting the score prediction correct. And the Harrogate fans obviously travelled down in numbers, celebrating, winning the game. Massively disappointing. Boys, have you got something to add on on the turnover and, and you know, how disappointing that was? Well, it was... Um... It was it was a little highlight. If you didn't see the game, that uh, both goals for me were a highlight of why Pompey lost this game. They lost it in the centre of midfield. Harrogate bullied Portsmouth's centre of midfield throughout most of the game. I'll tell you what the duels were, but Weisskart didn't cover stats for the game, which is really annoying. So from the so from the eye test of me in the back of the fraternity and Aziz and Williams lost the ball a lot. Um Josh Falkingham and Alex Patterson for Harrogate were one of the were some of their better players alongside Jack Diamond who obviously scored Jack Diamond looked like a, a threat and it made me think why he's playing in League 2 in the first place and Hugh you were right um, it was another example of um, Pompey being un- unorganised in split seconds not not throughout most of the game most of the game they were reasonably solid defensively all the defenders knew where they, where they had to be even playing free at the back which was a problem earlier in the season uh, the centre halves were in line, and the, and the wing backs could cover enough for the wide areas. But quite simply, when Ro- Romeo drifted into the centre of midfield, and w- both him and Williams sort of made it made a meal of it, um, they played the ball out wide to Jack Diamond, who had all the space in the world. So that was where the goal came from, and it was incredibly frustrating. Um, thankfully, Aziz and Williams, I think, put in better performances in the next game, but in in this match. It was. It showed the lack of depth a football side can have when three out of three out of the five centre midfielders are injured. Can we quickly talk about that lovely Marquis pantomime dive <laughs> when the oh, that was goes. awful? I hated oh. that. I hated Honestly, that. It's, it was yeah, embarrassing. Carlo was the one who uh, shared the video. I think online. It's genuinely embarrassing to watch. What the hell's he doing? Seriously, what's worse is he could have skinned. He could have skinned the fullback like, as well. I'm a massive. They're coming for you, Freddie. Like <laughs> I've been an ardent defender and continue to be of him throughout the season when people are getting on his back. But that was embarrassing. It's just cringeworthy to watch that and to feel the need to do that in that sort of game. Get a grip, seriously. It re- it wound me up more than the actual result did, lads. That did genuinely that pissed me off more than the result. It, it, it wound me up more than people sitting down in front of me in the front end, but I won't go into that anymore. Yeah, you were but, relieved, uh, weren't you, when we get on to the next part to be sat next, stood, sorry, next to me in the <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday game. Sorry, Rob. 
But at the end of the day, we have avoided a trip to the Luton in the third round. So that there are silver linings to every cloud. There are indeed. That was going to be or, diamond, or diamond linings to every cloud. Oh yeah. Every cloud has a silver lining. It definitely does. <laughs> every cloud has a diamond silver lining. Right. Okay. Um, right. Let's move on to the next game though, because I don't want to dwell too much on this Harrogate, Harrogate loss, but going into the Sheffield Wednesday game, obviously we still had some problems with, with team selection in the middle of the park. Joe Morell again, not fit, able to play, which for me was quite concerning going into the game. When the team sheet came out, I was thinking, oh, Harrogate overran us in the middle. Aziz again with Williams, you know, they've got to raise their game. And to be fair, I think Pompey really did raise their game in the middle of the in middle of the park. The press from the start of the game really put Sheffield Wednesday on the back foot. They didn't know how to cope with it. The keeper was looking a little bit to play little short balls out to the of the centre defenders who split to enable a pass and he couldn't really get the ball out to them because it meant so they had to go long. Almost reminded me of the start against Lincoln, actually, the game, I thought, against Sheffield Wednesday and the way that Pompey pressed quite high up the pitch. The crowd was going for it. And you just wanted Pompey to get a goal whilst they're on top. And it just never really came, did it, Freddie? It never did, unfortunately. Um, like I said, the, uh, Sheffield Wednesday's defence couldn't deal with Pompey pressing at all. Um, it was great to see Curtis, Har- Curtis and Harness both... Um, spearheading the press alongside Hurst because I thought in the game against Harrogate they didn't utilise that as well as they could have done Curtis looked not fit in that game when he came on but yeah the, pre- the press was enormous the passes allowed per defensive action stat for the entire game if you remember eight is a high is what I would consider a high press on average throughout the entire minutes they averaged 4.4 so literally pretty much on top of Sheffield Wednesday for the majority of the game in the first quarter of an hour it was 4.3 and yeah, it was just on to, on top of uh, Sheffield Wednesday throughout the entire game, and, and they could they like it was obvious that they a lot of the defenders liked to play the ball out. Peacock Farrell was in goal, was always looking for the short option, but the short option was very rarely there for them. It was just a shame that Pompey couldn't convert their chances. I liked um, that chance when. Hurst was driving in and from out wide and then passed it across the penalty area to Curtis, who then placed it over the bar. It was it was it was not the easiest of chances from there, but that shows the sort of goal scoring opportunities that Danny Cowley wants his side to make. And if we can start converting those, then uh, we'll be doing okay. And George Hurst had a very good game, I thought everything apart from the goal as well, he pressed. And what I thought was really impressive, as we've seen in, in other games as well, that turn of pace when he just sort of he has the strength and ability to hold someone off and the ball goes to feet and then just turn a defender. There was a few times when he did it earlier in the half. He got, he got tugged down. One of their players got, got yellow carded for it. I know the Sheffield Wednesday fans have been all over his, all over him saying, you know, he's going down too easily and stuff. And But I actually think that they really struggled to handle him. And it was just quite unfortunate, really, that he didn't get the goal. But what it did allow Pompey to do is set up and get the press going forward as well. And on the attack, it allowed other players to overlap around him. But Andy, what did you think about George Hurst and, and how he played in this game? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the turn of pace. It was, what, maybe five or six games ago, there was one moment where he suddenly put on the burners and it was the first time we'd really seen him have an opportunity in a, in a foot race with someone off the ball. And then, yeah, you you suddenly went from realising that he was sort of a, a tallish centre forward who could, you know, get around a bit to someone who's actually, you know, got a bit about him pace-wise and it sort of brought in another another sort of facet to his game. 
Um, in terms of this match, yeah, I'm very unlucky not to get a goal out of it. Again, if you're being hypercritical, you'd say that he should finish one of the chances, but I don't think that would be an appropriate criticism on this occasion, to be honest. I think, as you say, he did everything but score. And sometimes you've got to put your hands up and say that the other blokes had a bit of a worldie, like, you know, when Ben Stokes won the Ashes match for England at Headingley, the Aussies, were, you know, he's had a day out. It's pretty much what the Sheffield Wednesday keeper had, you know, he had a bit of a day out. Um, and it's kind of hard to, to critique the team when that is the only real reason that we didn't get three points, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we've already this season, we have not played as well as that and got three points. And it will happen again this season where the team doesn't play that well and we'll get three points. So I, I don't see it as two points dropped, even though, you know, you could say Wednesday had centre-backs missing, they had a very makeshift defence. And, you know, you could say, you know, Pompey should be scoring against that defence. But in in reality, sometimes the ball just won't go into the net. And, yeah, I think this was one of those occasions. So Hurst looked dangerous. He's got his first league goal, you know, a week or two ago now. And I'm, I'm hopefully kicks on from there. And it's, yeah, we said it a few weeks ago, I think it was last time I was on the pod, so about a month ago, we were saying that how much we wanted it to happen for him, but it hadn't quite clicked. And I'm genuinely so pleased to see it click a bit more with him now. And uh, yeah, if you're, if you're playing either him or Marquis, I, I know who's in my starting 11 at the moment. And it's, uh, it's not the person that I would normally say. I think that's completely. I think that's completely fair enough to a certain level. You said it'd be kind of pernickety or picky or uber-critical or something, Andy, along those lines. Paraphrasing you a little bit there, to say that not getting the goal or would be critical. I think I'm going to be a bit critical here because I think that in some ways, when that ball goes through, and let's just talk about this chance because it's a good it's a good header here from from Sean Raggett, and it sets up it sets up the a really nice chance. Marcus Harness takes the ball down absolutely beautifully. I think sort of plays a little one two of Ronan Curtis. You can see the synergy there from them linking up when they're playing confidently, and then he plays the, the through ball to Hurst. Just put your foot through it, man. Just hit it hard on target. He tries to sort of finesse it around the keeper, and it ends up sort of you know, hitting the keeper's feet quite low. And and it's not not a case of me sort of slating him or anything. It's just in front of goal, you just need your striker really just to put your foot through and lace it. And it does, it is a little bit of a concern for me. I don't know what you think about it, Rob. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with you, Hugh. And I, I think one thing as well that you can be critical of against Sheffield Wednesday was that our crossing and set-piece delivery was abysmal. To And I understand the conditions weren't great, but to have that many crosses into the box and miss the intended target on almost every one of them, eight corners that I think only one of them beat the first man, those kind of things aren't acceptable. When you've got your most, your creative outlets of players like Romeo, who really should be getting a better delivery and when he's got so much time on the wing. But in terms of Hurst's performance, I remember a tweet from myself back in, I think it was September now, uh, where I tweeted after he made like a five to 10 minute cameo up front. Uh, I said, I think we should give him more time in the team because he looks like he can hold the ball up a lot more effectively than Marquise. And at, at that point, he'd only been getting five to 10 minutes. He hadn't really seen enough of him. And I think Hurst has finally got his chance. And I think he's taken it with both both feet, shall we say. Um, he almost scored a at Gillingham after about 90 seconds with a lob that, the, the, again, the keeper's pulled off a, an incredible save. 
He could have scored at least one against Sheffield Wednesday. He also, I think, brings other players into the games much more effectively than I think Marquise does. You have Harness running off Hurst. I think Harness has really come into his own in the last few weeks. He had a run of, was it five or six games where he scored in each game and then missed a brilliant chance at Gillingham, which, and he weirdly looked really upset about. I know we mentioned that when we were there. I think as an overall team, I think we've played much better with Hurst up front than we had Marquise. And I think that kind of almost like when Hawkins was playing for, playing for Pompey under Jacket, he was a much more, we were a much more effective team with Hawkins up front than Marquise in some ways, because he could hold the ball up and get others into play like Curtis and Lowe on, on the wings. I think Hurst is basically taking the, the number nine shirt now. Has to be first choice. The key difference for me was the turn of pace and the ability to roll a defender. He could do what a traditional target man does, but also link up with very nice passes and drive play as well. Um, yeah, he's only got the one goal yet, but he, he, he his link-up play is very good. And if, if he gets high-quality chances like that on a regular basis, he should be able to score eventually. And speaking of getting high-quality chances, we've got to play the best game on the podcast. Guess the XG. We've got to play Guess the XG here. And he's been missing this. He's been messaging me when he's listening back on the podcast and saying, I wish I was there because I would have absolutely nailed that one, Bunce. You're rubbish. Uh, just FYI, mate. Last week's episode, I would actually have won. I played along at home and uh, I would genuinely have won. So... That's my guess for the, the month sorted. I won't win this time. No, I'm actually responsible. Like it's on record, which is not oh, annoying at all. I like that. The the invisible. I would have won. I was playing at home. There's no. No, genuinely. No, genuinely. It was. I think it was Frankie you were on with, and I got. I was like zero point zero three out or something. I was absolutely raging that it wasn't on record. <laughs> oh. Let's let's see it now then, Freddie. Back to you, mate. Okay, so you guys have got to guess what George Hurst XG was from that one-on-one shot that was saved by Bailey Peacock-Farrell. Um, whoever wants to go first, unmute your mic and play along at home, ladies and gents. Is this the one in the first half? I'm going to go with... one yeah. I'll yeah. go first. I'm going to go with 0.45. Uh, my guess, 0.38. I think you've both gone too high. I'm going 0.26. Hugh Bunce has won. He's getting really good at this game now. He he, he was only 0.02 out. Her XG for that shot was 0.47, which is close to 50-50. This metric is flawed. This metric is so flawed. Here we go. Anyone who is paying any attention from week to week here, Freddie, and I know you're just doing this to piss me off, but this anyone who's playing this week to week and actually watched, if you made a slideshow of the chance you're referring to, then the XG you claim, and you had a lot, all of them in a row, it would be obvious what flawed a metric this is. And I don't know that I get this angry about it, but I do, and it's complete rubbish. I like winning, and... Oh, I'm just raging. There's no Remember, chance. There's no it's just a guide. It. It's not the most accurate thing in the world. I've mentioned that before. But, but then we should Andy, you shit at the game. Don't, don't cry about it. 
find, find something that is a better metric that we can argue about. Inject those tears into my blood system. What was the XG system. for the whole game, Fred? Out of interest. 1.65, that's my guess. Uh, it was, it, oh, it was, was 2.02 for the whole game. Oh, you're way out for Pompey. Yeah. Way out you. Depends on which database you're looking at, right? But anyway, right, Andy Mitchmore. Suck it, mate. You're shit at the game. Rob, that was a good guess for your first game, mate. Congratulations. I am so happy to be back. I think think you actually did better than Andy as well. He gets a third place. Third place. Unlucky, Andy. But let's go back to the crossing. Because Rob had a good point that, let's be honest, Pompey's set play delivery in particular, as well as the crossing, is pretty awful. When I'm looking across the team, I'm thinking, who can take a good corner, for instance? And I thought, who's good at set plays? You know, who's good at that kind of thing? Rico, I mean, he can hit a ball. He can shoot from distance. And I just thought maybe as somebody takes a free kick, could be quite a good option to put a corner in. What are you thinking, boys? Yeah, that, that, that could be an option. I don't think it could be much worse than Sean Williams' delivery against Sheffield Wednesday. Let's be honest. I, I know there was a couple of different corner takers. I know Harness took one um, or, or two. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it, it seems that the training of just being able to deliver a ball into the box which is uh, an age-old complaint of any football fan but if you've got a dead ball you should never be not beating the first man from a corner in my opinion because you're a professional footballer you shouldn't that shouldn't be happening so regularly as well yeah but Rob what I want to know is are you repping my choice for Rico for corners or not that was the question potentially um, like I say I don't think he's been much worse I think I know he's not, he didn't start, or he didn't come on even, uh, but Michael Jacobs, potentially, um, he's been good at a lot of other things uh, recently. Um, other than that, I guess I'm struggling because I've not really seen many people who I feel have the the required ability from, even from a free kick or a corner. Is it the movement though, Andy and Freddie? Is it the movement in the box that the, I know the, the delivery is bad, but you know when you practice these things in training and you, you, you're deciding, right, who's making the run to the back post? Who's doing the flick on? Who's going to do this? And there is some sort of actual, you know, planning that goes into set plays. It's not just, a, a, let's, it's gone out for a corner. Let's just do what we do and put it into the box and someone tries to scoop it in. So how can we improve on this, Freddie? And how can we actually fix this issue? Is it just a case of the players in the box need to provide more movement or there needs to be something happening? Or is it just a case that we can't actually get the ball to those players? Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a, I think it's just a delivery issue. I think most of the time when I look, when I, when you look at the penalty area from corners and free kicks, the the movement's fine. They, they, they started the, the corner routine, obviously, what I call the bus queue, where everybody stays in the middle of the penalty area, then, dry, then drives wide, which has proven to work for other teams. Um, yeah, I don't think the movement's the issue. I think it, I, I just think it's the delivery. So many crosses are going over the penalty area, or not beating the first man, or or don't have enough whip, enough whip on them. Even even if a player gets their head to it, there's not enough power behind it. And yeah, sixteen percent cross accuracy from that Sheffield Wednesday game. Set it basically says what we're all thinking. Where Pompey were very, very good going forward through um, the neat one-two passes and through balls through the middle, but um, the crossing was poor, and it definitely um, put a, put a breaker on the ports of getting a, their chances. I'm not sure what you think on that, Andy. In terms of the crossing and the movement, yeah, I think 
it's, I mean, Rob's point is kind of relating to the quality of the ball in and with all the best movement in the world, it's irrelevant if you don't beat the first man, which is a, a fairly, as Rob says, a very cliched complaint of, of football fans for the last 130 years and will continue to be, I've got no doubt, or whenever corners were brought into the game instead of thrones. Um, but yeah, I, it's interesting because we did go through a stage where you thought we were really dangerous from set pieces when, you know, Sean Raggett went through a little purple patch of goal scoring and uh, for a while with, with Marquis misfiring a bit up top, it was kind of one of our more reliable forms of, of dangerous attacking prowess. And that seems to have died off a bit in recent games where now we just look fairly toothless and the quality of the ball in has, has decreased. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's very easy to critique it from the comfort of my own sofa. And it's, yeah, I don't know, but it's, no, well, I don't know if I agree with myself there. That's a weird sentence to say. If you're a professional footballer, you should beat the first man. It's as simple as that. Oh, I'm going around in circles. I'm cutting to Rob. Rob, do you agree with your own point? Do you, um, yeah. Oh. I, I don't really think it, it, it's <laughs> something that can really be challenged though, surely. Because like you say, if if you can't beat the first man, you're never going to score from a corner. So if you if you can't beat the first man, just take a short corner. Well, they tried that as well, and it didn't. You know, it didn't. They put it. And that goes back to the cross accuracy point that Fred made. I do. I do think that we looked very dangerous with crosses when Harrison was fit, as well, because there was a a period of time where we scored a number of goals with Harrison at the far post, nodding the ball back across, and it was kind of a tried and tested, and it did work multiple times. And then obviously he got injured, and is only starting to come back now. And I don't think it's a coincidence because if you've got Harrison or Marquis playing. Harrison is infinitely better in the air on the end of those corners, either as a goal-scoring threat or as an assist threat. And I think there might be some sort of correlation there between minutes Harrison's playing and XG from corners. But um, I've no evidence to back that up. That's just from watching the games. You've got to say, though, that we'll just just moving off the crossing a little bit, but so it's following on from the same sort of topic. That ball comes into the box. And I've got to say that fair play to Bailey Peacock Farrell. He pulled off some absolutely outstanding saves in that game. And if you put an average goalkeeper who plays at an average level, should we say, in, in League One in, in that game, Pompey would probably win it 2-0. And he made he made a couple of outstanding saves once, one from Rico, who shot from distance. And he you know, the ball really sort of stays, doesn't it, when he hits it. It's very true, all his strikes from there. Again, he puts that over the bar, good save. Then he has that close save in from Ronan Curtis, where he heads that on goal. And from nowhere, he sort of comes across and gets gets a really good hand to it. And Maybe then we, we have a little bit of a different narrative if that ball goes in from Curtis and we get a goal from across. Potentially, yeah. I thought Peacock Farrell was Wednesday's best player, I thought, um, for pretty much most of the game. Apart from Barry Bannon, who, if you just watch him, he, you could tell he oozes class in the centre midfield. And I wish Williams or Aziz had that sort of delivery. But hey, Barry Bannon's an exceptional player. But no, Peacock Farrell... Excellent game, great shop stopping. His distribution was a bit weird at times. Um, the pressing basically led to, to a lot of his goal kicks going out wide. But no, without him, um, Sheffield Wednesday struggled defensively. I mean, they had Callum Patterson at centre half who played for centre, played up front in the championship, which is a bit weird. And Marvin Johnson, um, their other centre half, got turned by Hurst multiple times. So, yeah, without, without, um, Without Peacock Farrell, um, it, it it might not have been nil nil, despite Pompey's 
you could argue struggled in front of the goal, even though they had the chances. Yeah, on another day that would have been a that would have been a two 0 win to be honest with those chances. But it wasn't. We get a draw. We said before the game, Freddie, didn't we, that a draw wouldn't be a bad result against Sheffield Wednesday. But... Yeah, I know. And I said to my mate who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan before the game, I'd take the nil nil. And then after the ninety minutes, I went, Why on earth did I say I'd take the nil nil? Because we, des- we probably deserve to win that game. So it wasn't badly. after the ninety minutes. It was like 60, 70 minutes in. You turned to me and you said, Why? Why did I say that? I'd yeah, take I know. The I, I know. I know. I know. Uh, especially especially after the red card, which. That tackle from Luongo was horrible. It looked awful from uh, the back of the Fratton end, but I'm sure you guys that watched it on TV, it must have been worse, surely. I mean, I mean it, it was shocking. It was shocking. It, 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 like I say, it looked fairly bad first time. And then you see the replay and how high his foot hits Curtis' shin. Curtis is very lucky to have not got picked up a serious injury from it. It was, it was out of control. It was reckless. All of those stereotype words. Uh, and deserved the red card. Yeah, and I actually was a, bit, a little bit concerned because we know Curtis can be a little bit more theatrical when he goes down. So, you know, uh, if it was someone else really around in pain like that from a distance, you sort of, you really do worry about if that's Sean Raggett doing that on the floor, for instance. And with Ronan Curtis, sometimes you think there's a bit more hope that he's actually just going to stand up and be okay. Luckily, that was the case, but not because of the challenge, just because he got lucky I suppose and he's okay which is great to see probably did push on from there and try and get try and get a winner but I thought Shepard Wednesday did pretty good actually sort of running the clock down you know playing the ball out wide holding it off throw-ins that kind of stuff so the game sort of petered out really I think at the end there but in the end we'll take the point uh, I'm pretty it's, it, I, I was happy with it at the start of the game I'm not going to go back now and complain about it and I thought we, if we keep playing like that I reckon eight times out of ten we come away with three points all right, let's get on to the next part because I think we've done most of the Shepherd Wednesday stuff. Unless anyone's got anything else to say? No? Okay, cool. So moving on, we said, and we put this question out to you and thank you again to everyone who messaged in. It's really appreciated. Makes the show. So it's not just all of us telling our stuff, but let's be honest, it's about what you think and that's what makes the show. So we've put it out to you guys and we said, the sickness bug in the Pompey squad further highlighted the squad's lack of depth. Where do the Blues need to strengthen the squad with January approaching? That's right, with January approaching, we've put that question out there. In November, we said it's too early to ask us questions about adding to the squad. You guys wanted to know at the beginning of November who we thought we should be signing, but we're creeping up to that time now where we're starting to do some research and look into it. I know Freddie spent two days doing it while sat in his deck chair outside the back in the garden. Uh, that, that, that's, a bit, uh, that's a bit disingenuous here, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a bit of a laugh, but we put it out to you guys and thank you again. So... Jack Chapman messages in. He says, we need a new striker and a central defender, first and foremost. But Cowley should maybe look at getting a lone midfielder just to cover in case of injuries to Tunnicliffe, Thompsons, William or Morell. Injuries have been a bit of an issue in the centre. And obviously Thompson's a bit of an injury risk generally. We all knew that. Williams, I thought, started okay in the game against Sheffield Wednesday. And it seemed to be quite clear to me that he's quite fatigued. And obviously at his age, I suppose, I don't want to be ageist about it, but going into the second half, he seemed to look very laggy and and seemed to be quite slow. So I can see where you're coming from. But at the same time, I think centre midfield is probably our our strongest position, wouldn't you say, Andy? Yeah, at the start of the season, we went from having no central midfielders to having really strong depth there in no time at all and I mean when a sickness bug makes its way through the squad you can get short staffed very quickly in any position I 
I was looking through the replies to the the tweet and it seems like pretty much every position other than goalkeeper is listed there by different people because there is an argument for all of these different positions. And, you know, I don't think any of the arguments that have been put forward are particularly flawed in any way. My personal opinion is that the centre of midfield isn't the priority because I think in terms of depth, we have more players there who can do a job. They're not necessarily, you know, promotion candidate, top level League One squad depth, but they can do a job there. And I think we're struggling more in other positions. And January is a case of firefighting, really, isn't it? As we've said previously, it's very unusual to get in a miracle signing in January because, you know, people are either moving in January because they've not got any game time at all at their previous club because they've not been performing or because they're coming back from injury. And either way, you are, it's unusual for you to get any sort of, you know, tearing the uh, tearing the, the grass up. That's not what I'm saying. What is it? Tearing the, I don't know, doing very well. It's unusual to get someone who's going to do brilliantly um, just by signing them in January. I'm ranting. Um, Unless you play an absolute boatload of money, which yeah. MP probably aren't going to do. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be, I think it would be a very high risk as well, Freddie, if you did do that, to spend a boatload of money in January. I think it's a really high risk thing to do. But, yeah, in terms of a centre midfield, I just think that there are places that need firefighting more than that. There are gaps that need filling more than centre midfield for me. Yeah, and who are you going to bring in who's basically going to be fifth, sixth choice centre midfielder? Not you're not even going to get a lone player for that because the parent club will go mental if you don't play him. So it's just one of those things. It's just, it's just that Pompey got unlucky with injuries and sickness. So when Williams and Disease start instead of Morel and Thompson, it looks a bit iffy. But hey, five, five centre midfielders in the squad is probably enough, isn't it? No, Judge misses in. He says striker and centre back are priority, especially if we're persisting with a back three. Had me and Aziz to go back, and then. Just hope we can offload the underperforming high earners to get in a couple more. I agree with Niall that I think striker and centre-back priority. For me, I think centre-back is number one priority. I think we need to get another centre-back in, especially with you know Clark Robinson being out. Is he back? Maybe he is. But even so, when you're playing a back three and you need another centre-back to cover those three at least. So even if Robertson comes back into the side you need to have another defender. We see that injuries happen, people fatigue, etc. So for me, I don't know what you think, Rog, but I sort of agree with Niall. I'm going to go defender, centre-back, followed by striker. Yeah, I I, I saw this uh, tweet earlier and I was like, it's pretty much spot on what I think. Especially if you're going to, as you say, if you're going to play three at the back, uh, we've kind of adjusted to having makeshift centre-halves at the moment and we've played well and kept a lot of clean sheets whilst still playing uh, I think at, at Gillingham there was only one recognised centre-back even if Clark Robertson's back there you still need another another one just as cover because otherwise you're going to end up getting into the late season in February, March uh, the sort of business end if, if you will and you're going to be running these players into the ground which we all saw happened with Lowe and Curtis under jacket and it's one one of the many reasons why we failed in the playoffs. Another striker is definitely a priority, but every club in every league in the country is going to be looking for that miracle 20-goal-a-season striker in January. And if you find them, it will cost a lot of money. 
Um, so I don't know if we'll get one in. Um, I can see, I can see players, I can see teams not giving us a loan or or, or, or buy, buying a striker. Um, I can see us continuing with Hurst and Marquise, but I can also agree with the argument to send Adame back to Norwich because he's just simply hasn't got enough game time. Uh, he's played in the Papa John's Trophy, and I think that's about it, really. Uh, and if we can free up a space there, we could potentially get a loan in someone who might be able to challenge the first team in a different position as well. John Marquis and Paul Downing for Stockton straight up. What are you saying, Morecambe? <laughs> oh. You say that. I mean, I, when we were talking to, to uh, Dave and he said, oh yeah, we're very reliant on, on Stockton. We need someone else to play up top sort of thing. I was thinking, you know, Marquis could go there. I, yeah, it could be the sort of club that could appeal to him. It's kind of like Pittman to Bristol Rovers. It'd, it'd do well there, I think. But um, I mean, that's not a forward plan. I think getting rid of a had me would be I still think he can do bits. He showed enough promise that I think he could do bits. But um, yeah, it's kind of hard to say that after 21 games when it hasn't happened yet, isn't it? But I'd still back him. <laughs> Just stupid if optimism. It, if, he, if, he's about, if he's about, he might get a chance. You know, I'm, I'm not going to... It's definitely not going to be writing off any more strikers after I absolutely pounded um, George Hurst earlier on in the season and compared him to Colin and Zumba. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> only, only to then be brought down back to earth. I, I said I said, right him as well. So that's both of us going it wrong. It's good to be wrong, mate. It's good to be wrong in this situation as a fan, isn't it? And, but at the same time, it's very hard to sign a striker. And I think Rob's sort of right here that if you send the have me back, you, you probably end up getting another lone striker in from another club, a Premier League club or a championship side. And that's going to be a lottery really, isn't it? To see how they fit in. It, it could be a great match. It, it could work really well, or it could maybe work out exactly the same as has with the had me. But at this moment in time, I think it's worth rolling the dice, swapping him for another striker and seeing if they settle in a bit better to the system because yeah, he might come good, Andy. You know, it could it could happen, I suppose. But I think we've got a high probability chance of swapping him out and bringing somebody else in if, if Danny Cowley can identify someone that he thinks could potentially add something to the squad. So for me, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Alfie John messages in. He says, I would go for a striker over anything. Yes, George Hurst has done well up front for us, but we need someone who can finish chances. But what strikers are still free that we could get? Maybe get Matt Jay from Exeter, Exeter to play just behind Hurst. I would love to get Matt Jay from Exeter. I mean, I brought him up earlier on last month when people were demanding some sort of answers to our, our striking crisis. Or, and he's not really a striker, he's really a forward. But I just think he's going to cost too much money. I, I don't know what you guys think. Uh, Freddie, do you reckon we can get Matt Jay? Or is he going to cost, you know, it's going to cost a large six-figure sum minimum, isn't he? Probably, yeah. Um, he's been... He's been definitely a fixture for Exeter for ages and he's definitely got the goal record. Um, I just think that financially Pompey are going to go a bit of a risk and go not completely bargain bin, but they won't go for the, for the obvious players who are going to cost a lot of money. Obviously Carl Wooten has been all over the, all over the news with links um, simply because they're thinking, Oh, a non-league striker who's going to score a load of goals. He might accept being on the bench for a bit. If we sign him, we'll see how it goes. Um, but unless Pompey turn over some of, uh, some of the players, some of the players on higher wages in January, I just don't see Pompey spending. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to spend enough 
compared to what certain clubs will want for their players. Um, I would personally lo- love James Norwood, but I think mm. Ipswich will probably have uh, too high of a price tag on him, to be honest. I wouldn't want him within five miles of my club, James Norwood. I would not want him within... Not a fan? No, absolutely not. Um, I agree with you though, Fred, that I don't think they're going to splash the cash. I think they want to see where the squad end up after a season, as far as I'm concerned. For variants to even out, it needs to be over a season or so. That's that's what I believe. So yeah, I'd be surprised if there were any wholesale changes. I think, and I think, and I think, if Pompey were to spend that that much money, I think I'd I'd rather see it on a right side of centre half anyway. To be to be honest, for me, I think it's it's centre half and striker. But at the same time, we do need both. Let's be honest. But again, I think striker is probably something you're going to fix in a more permanent feature in a summer transfer window rather than a January one when when squads get really overhauled rather than touched up but we'll see Pompey and Canberra messaged in he said it wasn't so long ago we we're all saying the midfield's our strongest area but now with so many injuries it's something we need to look at however if Danny Cowley said he's only looking at a couple more signings in January then maybe the defence and upfront is what he'll be focusing on who knows well, we certainly don't do it because we're just talking about it from uh, here, there and everywhere. But I do think we agree that defence and attack have to be have to be the main focus. But uh, it's difficult. So many injuries. There's going to be injuries over the season. Other squads have to deal with the same problems as well. So when you look at other teams and you think who they're putting out, they, uh, quite a lot of the time, they do miss the players. You know, if Sheffield Wednesday lose, you know, Barry Bannon, they, they'll have someone to come in, but he's not going to be at the same level as, as Bannon is. So... We, we can't have all players as good as Joe Morrell, for instance, in the centre of the field. The players who come in to replace him will have to be to, you know, a, a different level. It's all maybe like, like Aziz is sort of still finding his trade. I thought Aziz, by the way, boys, played a lot better in this game against Sheffield Wednesday, just quickly piping back to it. He was, it wasn't a perfect performance, but I definitely think he did a job there and good enough. If he played at that level consistently, definitely good enough to be in the squad rotation. So, I thought Aziz sort of tailed off a little bit in in the second half. Sort of struggled to exert an influence on the game in the second half. The first half, I thought he, he played well and, like you say, much better than the game against Harrogate. And hopefully, if he ends up in a run in the team, uh, hopefully he can sort of progress and and kind of stamp his authority because he clearly has quality. You know, he plays for plays for a Premier League club, and we've got him in on loan. So he obviously has that quality. We just need to kind of see that on the pitch. Yeah, and for me, that's just basically on a, on a consistent basis. Cowley's Cowles matches in. He says to add depth, big earners have to go. Probably Harrison and Jacobs. I had me, I had me goes, and there's an argument for Aziz. Both wage contributions won't be high. Never much quality and value available in January, and Cowley seem happy to wait for the right person of value. I don't think much happens. I mean, it's not very exciting, is it, Andy? But it's probably true. I agree with most of that. I don't like the thought of offloading Jacobs at all. I completely disagree with that point. But the rest of that, I think, is pretty spot on. I think most people had that offloading Jacobs argument from about two months ago before he started getting back into the side a bit more. Um, when we thought, Not me, Fred. Not me. Yeah, yeah. When he wasn't the fixture, that I had that in the back of my head, but he's he's played his way into it. But yeah, I, I just don't see any club moving in for players which a lot of fans have considered Edward. I don't see Paul Downing or Ellis Harrison leaving um, in January at all. Where would Downing go? Where exactly, would go? exactly. I don't, I don't know. So I think it'll be just 
they'll be a part of the squad until the new until the new year and uh, until the summer. And Danny Kelly will decide what what happens with them then. In terms of offloading the loan players, I think it's pretty obvious that Cowley doesn't fan, doesn't fancy a had me, and he hasn't for months. So if he wants to send him back to Norwich and go, go on the uh, the Premier League loan player roulette again, then fine. We have to wait and see on that. I think Aziz. I don't think there's any reason to gamble on replacing him. I know he had a bad game against Harrogate and it looked like the stereotypical match where we've seen where a Premier League loanee with a lot of talent gets bullied by League Two players. But I think he played well enough against Sheffield Wednesday and seemed composed on the ball enough where he didn't look out of place and and offered a fair bit. And yeah, I don't see who you're going to, who's going to come in, who's a major improvement on Aziz anyway. And then he's just introducing a new player into the squad and then what if they don't fit? That type of thing. It's it's January. It's always hard. Like Cowley's Cows mentioned, um, I'm uh, I'm not sure a lot will happen, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and and these young players also do take a little bit of time to bed into the squad, especially in the centre of midfield, getting up to that sort of level of playing men's football and especially the sort of physical side of League One. So Aziz has got to that now. He, he's got up to speed a bit more. He's starting to look better in the squad. He's, he's starting to play a little bit more. So for me, at this moment in time, unless some really good option comes out that is absolutely blows him out the water, I don't really see that happening. I think he's probably going to stick around. Peter Thurgood messages and he says, we desperately need a centre midfielder to play alongside Morel. Williams and Aziz's partnership is an eyesore. We need a striker that can finish his dinner. Though Hurst is looking a real threat now. That's where I would be concentrating on mostly. Yeah, again, I, I think if you play though one of those two with Morel, for instance, and then you've got Tunnicliffe coming back and we can, we can debate that as well. Then I think it looks okay. I think it's when you've got the two guys who are coming in playing with Williams and Aziz together. It, it didn't look as good, but I actually think that was a little bit because against Wednesday, it looked better. But Williams, for me, just slowed down a lot in the second half. And it can be quite difficult playing with somebody a little bit in the middle there when your defensive, well, you're not, you're your midfield partner even, is slowing down like that. So I, I do think that, for me, out of the two of them in that situation against Wednesday, it was more on the fact that Sean Williams looked a little bit gassed rather than Aziz not playing up to the level. Liam Maguire messaged, he said, imagine Ben Thompson with Morel. It started, boys. Get out. It started again. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> we're we're going to hear more of this because he's out of contracts in the summer as well. And I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't. What, what level is this on the, the Ben Thompson meter? I think Andy Moon put it as unlikely and listed the different levels of very unlikely, won't happen, could happen, or whatever. It's un- unlikely is the is the official Andrew Moon level of Ben Thompson coming to Portsmouth, and I can't see it happening in January anyway. I, I, just can't I, see I, it. I would think, in all honesty, uh, if he did leave Millwall to drop into League One, we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't match certain other clubs for wages personally, and he'd probably end up somewhere else. Yeah, but Robbie watched this away at Gillingham, so he must be signing. Yeah, ignoring the fact that Gillingham is what about forty minutes on the train, maybe from from Millwall, so it wasn't maybe too much of an effort. So cynical, honestly. Where, where's your romanticism for him coming back? He had half a good season. He had half a great season years ago. Yeah, and he's friends with Madon Romeo, who loves it down here. So. 
what I'm what I'm hearing is it's happening. I mean, I was expecting Freddie to jump in, to be honest, and and to be pumping the uh, the Ben Thompson to Portsmouth storyline, considering that your colleagues will definitely be doing that at the Portsmouth News, right? Yeah, Fred, you're meant to have like a, a party line here. This is isn't your party line sell the Ben Thompson stories as much as possible. The Ben even Thompson when there dream. actually isn't a new story there. <laughs> I mean, it could still happen. That, that's, based, that's based Ooh, on no, that's go. based on no info whatsoever. By There's the, way. the Portsmouth News official line coming out. <laughs> it could happen. It, it definitely isn't, places. by the way. Freddie, just to make it painfully obvious, it is, it is that is not official in any way. Freddie, Freddie you've just Portsmouth News another four subscribers for £3.65 a month there, mate. I'm pleased for you. Keeps right. me in a job, dude. Exactly, exactly. That's that's what we all do. That's what we all do. Um Peter Ferguson messages back and he said, I prefer a more defensive minor midfielder as Joe's very creative and direct, but I wouldn't say no to Ben Thompson. Do you think that we actually need a... <laughs> Can we please stop talking about fucking Ben Thompson? No, wait a sec. I'm just moving away from it, Andy. Let me do my little transition. So do you think that Joe needs to play with a defensive holding partner next to him? Rob, or do you think he can actually stick with whoever? Because some people seem to think that you need to have a sitting midfielder in this situation and someone going forward. But I would say Joe's more of a box-to-box player rather than just a attacking creative midfielder who just sort of floats around. So I think you could have two players who play a box-to-box role in that position. Yeah, uh, potentially. Um, I think it would depend on what player it is that is with him, um, which is kind of obvious by the nature of the question. I think Morel is so far and away on a different level to the other midfielders we have that he needs to be that one that drives the play, sort of drives the play forwards. Um, And in terms of other sort of partners with him, I guess you could have a similar mould where it would be box-to-box players that, you know, they, they, they track back, they'll win a tackle in midfield and then start a move. And if you had two of them, it could work as a sort of a pivot with both of them as well. But my view is similar to the question where I kind of prefer there to be a, hold, a more holding midfielder and one that sort of drives forwards. Because then if you do lose the ball from an advanced position, you still have another player there to be able to sweep up and sort of hopefully stop the attack before it gets into a too dangerous an area. Louis Thompson was able to do that when he was properly fit. And I think that partnership with Morel, out of all the ones I've seen, works really nicely. But obviously, Cowley has to keep an eye on Louis Thompson's fitness. Because didn't he sign initially on a pay-as-you-play deal? He did. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's still the case or not. But I think the more that Louis Thompson's able to bed himself in, I know he wasn't, fit for the Harrogate or the Sheffield Wednesday then game because of a hip injury. Um, but still, that that looks to be the partnership now, the ideal partnership anyway. No, I absolutely agree. Those two look mustered together. We discussed it in previous weeks that when fit, playing together, that is a potential championship midfield partnership, in my opinion, in the centre there. So let's get Louis fit and then carry on. Forgotten Pompey goals matches in. He says, sign someone who can take a corner. I've already told you, mate, it's Rico. We don't need to, don't need to cover this anymore. He's just going to step up, take every corner from now on. And it's just going to be bang, straight on Rackett's head. He's going to get seven for the rest of the season. That's my that's my prediction. Let's let's start by beating the first man. That's not even a problem, Rob, if he's taking corners. That's what I'm going <laughs> with. Rico, Rico, the corner taker. Assist maestro. The wing back, who's also a winger, who also takes corners and scores from outside the box. I'm all about it. I love that. Nathan Owens, especially, he says, well, 
they haven't for 20 years. I've watched them and why start now? Uh, Luke Ellis messages in. He says, Rico is the best set piece taker we have. Yes, Luke. Don't get why he's not on him. Luke, mate, you are riding with me, mate. There we go. Shotgun. Two of us now. It's not just me thinking that the Rico should take corners. It's Luke as well. So there we go. Um, Lee Maguire messages in. He's the centre-back and the striker. Maybe a winger just to add depth. Do we need another winger? Uh, only if they're only if they're exceptionally good. I think if we signed Dylan Bahambula from Oldham, then I'd be going, "Oh my god, yes, absolutely, we need a winger." But no, if no, we shouldn't sign a winger unless they're obviously going to have an impact on the first team. But yeah, I still prefer centre half or centre forward. Well, do we even need a winger? We're talking about Jacobs, and he sees himself as a winger and. He says it doesn't fit into this system. If we're going to play wing backs, I think maybe we're looking to get a left sided wing back rather than a winger, wouldn't you say, Andy? Yeah, I think Lee Brown's done a pretty decent job on that side um, for the most part. But yeah, I'd say that would be the priority for me. I would I'd agree. I don't know if we need an out and out winger. You look at the number of people we've got who can play on the right or the left and are frequently rotated around those. I think a lot of it depends on whether or not Cowley sees a long-term vision of playing someone like Curtis or, or Harness up top or whether he'd rather have two out-and-out strikers. If he keeps wanting to play Curtis up top, then there's a bit more of an argument for it because the space from the left does open up if you're not playing Jacobs there. Um, but I, again, similarly to the centre midfield, I think we've got enough options there and enough rotation options that are a good League One standard. It's not the prime sort of the priority it's not the prime area that we're most most struggling for depth and Curtis has looked very very good playing in a more aggressive central role alongside a striker so if if Cowley sees enough of forward similar then maybe but like we said there are there are other parts of the team that need fixing primarily right side of the centre half is the main one because even if Clark Robertson comes back what are you going to do? Are you going to play Ogilvy or Robertson on their wrong foot on the right-hand side? Or are you going to continue playing Kieran Freeman there, who's okay, but hasn't set the world on fire in that position? Yeah, that, that for me is the most uncertain. Even, even though Pompey struggled for goals in the Sheffield Wednesday game and in other matches this season, they're creating enough, they're creating enough high-quality chances where in the long term, I think they'll score enough goals, but the depth at centre half is just still a concern. If we and if we get major injuries there again, uh, the performances will drop off. All right, thanks everyone for messaged in. Just really appreciate it as I mentioned earlier on. Just before we move on, boys, Luke Kennedy messaged and he uh, bought us some coffees on Buy Me a Coffee with a little caveat there. He said a couple of beers and maybe a tequila for Freddie or me, fellas. Love the pod. Keep it up. Cheers. Thanks, Luke, for that. And. Obviously, we will be indulging in a couple there and Freddie will be indulging in a tequila, much to his disgust after seeing him do it the last time. We'll, we'll make sure he gets totally wasted the night before he has to do the shot of tequila as his first drink. I think there's a, there's a lesson to be learned that, that that away day turned out to be a pretty good away day. I think, you know, some people wear lucky underpants to the game. Some people have routines. I think our routine is now hungover Fred does tequila while we take photos of him. That's got to be it. And also, uh, if, if Pompey get three points, if Pompey get three points, then I'll put up with that, to be fair. And obviously, the person there, very, a listener very kindly, uh, gave a, donated some money on Buy Me A Coffee. I will will have the tequila with no complaints. I'd like, sorry, Hugh, Hugh, what was the listener's name, sorry? Luke. 
Luke, thank you very much. Could you um, buzz us whether or not you'd rather Freddie drinks the tequila or eyeballs it? A bit more, spe- a bit more specificity would be good because I would quite like to see Freddie eyeball it, if I'm honest. Just to, like, that would ex- probably make me um, blind. I think that might be a step too far. Tweet no, it, Luke. We'll 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 retweet it. <laughs> Share it. But what we'll do is uh, at the Morecambe game, Freddie, that's a tequila for you, mate, straight away. And then we'll carry it on for every time Pompey win once you have a tequila until the rest of the season. So until Pompey don't win, well, you're having a tequila, it's going to be tequila time for you, Freddie. See. <laughs> All right, let's go into the rest of the uh, rest of the podcast because we spoke to Dave Salmon from Beyond Radio and he's the iFollow commentator as well for Morecambe Football Club. He gives us the lowdown on Morecambe, how they're playing, players to watch, just the general season as well, getting rid of Derek Adams and how that's changed their system completely. So here's our interview and chat with Dave Salmon from Beyond Radio and I follow for the Shrimps. All right, I'm here with Dave Salmon from Beyond Radio and I follow for Morecambe Football Club. And Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We all appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do as well. So let's start at the beginning of the season. Obviously, you got promoted last season. Yeah, Derek Adams in charge originally last season. He's not a very popular man around Portsmouth. <laughs> have a thing against us. You know, we don't really care about him the other way around, but that's just how it is. But how did you find yourselves coming into the season with a new manager? A lot of people thought you'd struggle. It was really hard. Really, really, really hard, to be honest with you, because obviously Derek left three days after we got promoted and that put us in complete limbo. A lot of the squad are out of contract, especially the the better players who had played a big part in getting us into League One in the first place. So we're at a bit of a crossroads and of course we have a limited budget as well in terms of not only who we can attract from a manager's point of view, but also our playing budget. So I suppose that kind of limits your market in, in who wants to apply for the job in the first place. So in Stephen Robinson, we think we've got uh, we've got a bit of a gem, really, to be honest. Um, fantastic at Motherwell. Got them to third in the Scottish Premiership. Two cup finals in one season. Europa League qualification. Bought players through on free transfers that he then sold for £10 million profit. So it ticks a hell of a lot of boxes for us. But the one problem he had was we only had three contracted senior players when he took over in the middle of June. And so we had to build a squad really, really quickly. So we signed 19 players in a month. Of course, when you do that, some work out, some don't, as the last couple of weeks especially have proven. Um, so we went into the season, I think, not quite knowing what to expect, really. Obviously, we'd never played in League One before, weren't sure about how big the jump was. I think in some respects, the jump isn't as big from two to one as perhaps it could be in, in certain areas. And uh, we, we've really enjoyed the, well, what I suppose is the roller coaster so far. We'd like to be a bit higher in the league, of course, though. When I watched you guys last season, I thought you played quite an interesting style because some teams, you, you know, get promoted to the likes of Bolton, etc., try to sort of dominate possession and recycle the ball. Mm. But with you guys, it was quite interesting because you weren't, you were sort of a low possession team that sort yeah. of hit players fast or on the counter attack and scored goals. And I was quite interested to see how that would translate from League Two, where there can be a bit of a slower pace on the build-up to League mm. One. But how has that translated into this league? And have you stuck to that same style of play under Robinson you did under Derek Adams? In a word, no. Uh, Adams' ball, if you want to call it that, was very much low possession, 25% possession, 30 at most. 
let the opposition have the ball in areas that won't hurt you, we will hit you on the break. We won't create many chances, but they'll be good ones and therefore we'll score enough goals to win the game. Stephen Robinson plays a different style. He, he's usually 4-3-3. I'd expect on Saturday he'll be 4-3-3 with a flat-back four, a holding midfielder, two pushing on a little bit further, two out-and-out wingers, and then uh, one central striker who I'm sure we'll uh, talk about uh, as this podcast goes on. So a different style, high press, higher intensity. Well, <laughs> apart from Tuesday, <laughs> which uh, Lee said about that, the better. But um, generally high press, try and hit you with pace and uh, a completely different style of play. Certainly more attractive on the eye, that's for sure. Uh, uh, yeah. You mentioned there that you're seeing it as a bit of a roller coaster mm. so far this season. Do you think Morecambe fans in general are seeing League One as, for want of a better word, like a, an adventure holiday? Like Wickham kind of saw the champ, sorry, Wickham kind of saw the championship a little bit last year. Or is there a genuine feeling that you could kind of consolidate your place in League One and this could become the baseline where Morecambe feel like they sort of belong? What's the what's the general feeling in the fan base? I think to be honest, Andrew, the expectations were 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 enhanced with the start that we had to the season. We didn't tear up any trees by any stretch, but we had some great results. We led twice against Ipswich on the opening day of the season. Uh, we beat Sheffield Wednesday and we were the first team that season to score against them as well in doing so. Um, so we've had some good results against some fancied sides and we were comfortably in mid-table. I think we had 10 or 11 points from the first six, seven games. So we were doing okay. And then since then, we have just fallen off the cliff completely. We've lost uh, seven out of the last 10 in the league. We only won once in that time. And that good start has been completely and utterly wiped out. I think before a ball had been kicked, for me, and, and I think I speak for most of the fan base, 20th was the absolute aim. Anything better than 20th was a bonus. Just staying above that that bottom four uh, was going to be, and I think as the as the weeks have gone by, that is very much where we are now. Not refocusing because I think for for most realistic Morecambe fans, that's where we are about where we thought we would be in in and around. Not not cut adrift, not tearing any trees up. Um, but we we I think in terms of taking to life in in League One, it's been a, a, a mixed bag to say the least. We've had some fabulous results against some really fancied sides. Probably should have done better against some of those fancy sides. Should have beat Wickham, should have beaten Ipswich, probably should have beaten Plymouth. And then there are other games where we've been absolutely played off the park. Sunderland on Tuesday being the worst one of the season. It was 5-0, probably could have been 10-0 on another night, 4-0 away at home to MK Dons the, the night of the uh, Tuesday before that. So it's been very mixed, very mixed to say the least. Are you confident of Morecambe staying up then this season, Dave? I still am, Freddie, yeah. Uh, and, and the reason for that is we know that already with the squad that we have, we have shown that we can compete when all of the pieces fit together in the puzzle. The one problem that we've got at the moment, and this uh, this week after, after we got completely annihilated by Sunderland on Tuesday, our manager said very plainly what everybody's been thinking for a few weeks now, and that is there are some players in our squad who just aren't good enough for League One. It's as simple as that. And some of them will play against you on Saturday. They'll be in the starting lineup. There's no two ways about that. We know where we have to strengthen. 
we are very well blessed in the fact that we have a really good board who will back the manager the best they can in January. And we have also drawn Spurs away in the cup in the third round. That coupled with our second round game being on the telly against Buxton last Saturday, if you could see any of it because it was the, the rain was horrendous. Um, probably that three, four hundred thousand pound cash boost that might mean the difference between getting in three or four quality players in the window that will keep us up, coupled with the best of what we've got already. So I think it's going to be close. But I, I'm still at this point confident well, we've got enough to stay up, yeah. Just about. So I was looking at, you were talking just quickly then about, you know, you were leading away at Czechburg FC at, at Ipswich and, and again at Plymouth as well, you know, and they came back against you. And Pompey have been scoring quite a few late goals to mm. sort of snatch games. Is that is that a recurring problem for Morecambe? Yeah. I mean, there could be something to watch. Yeah. Um, the two areas, I mentioned this with Freddie on, on, on Ashram's Verdict podcast last week as well. The two areas where you will hit us are late goals. Uh, we we could well be well in the game. We might even be leading or at least drawing inside the last 10 minutes or so and we'll switch off and you'll score. And our other one is just switches off defences, lapses of concentration, predominantly from set plays. Tuesday aside, we've not really been cut open from open play too much in games, even in our defeats. The majority of our goals come from set pieces, not marking at corners, free headers, cheap free kicks on the edge of the box, all that kind of stuff. So if you're good at offensive set pieces and you're good at scoring late goals or both, uh, that would be a real worry to us for sure. Yeah. Rob, do you want to jump in? Uh, yes, so you mentioned about the uh, attacking set pieces. Um, Portsmouth have not scored a headed goal yet this season. Well, we can uh, put that right on Saturday. <laughs> that's for sure. uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, that's probably been one of our big weaknesses, I'd say. Um, but we have sort of, we've against Sheffield Wednesday, for example, we played really well and did end up cutting them open. Uh, a couple of times, but you, as you were saying, that's probably one of your defensive strengths. In the last couple of weeks, um, we've we've rested, dropped, benched um, our main, or I would call defensive midfield linchpin, Tamani Diagaraga. Um, he, he got rested for the FA Cup in the first round, and, and now he can't go back in the team because uh, we've got a young guy called Callum Jones on loan from Hull who, who's kept him out of the side. Um but that has been the basis of, of our, I don't want to call it defensive solidity because we've conceded the most goals in the whole of the EFL. So we can't say that at all, really. But like I say, most of the goals have, haven't have been cut open, great moves from open play. They have been switches, switches off at the back. And I think that's the, the, the one thing that we found from League Two to League One. It's not the, the general overall skill standard. It's that extra 10% sharpness, and the extra 10% where you're punished for your mistakes. And we seem to be punished every single week at the moment. So uh, if I say if you are good at set plays, then uh, you, you are going to get goals against us on Saturday, that's for sure. Dave, I did tune into your FA Cup game against Buxton. Uh, did you see much of it though, Andrew? Because it was a bit wet. There was um, a large wet patch on the, the main TV feed for most of the game, which made it, it tough to see. Yeah, It was proper, proper lower league football, wasn't it? Um, but bearing in mind that you were playing against sort of lower opposition, 
you look very reliant on Stockton for yeah. sort of any form of goal scoring opportunities. Yeah. And I know that people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones and Pompey didn't exactly cover themselves in glory that day against a team in the league below. But how representative was that game against Buxton for how you'd expect things to play out against Pompey? And are you normally as reliant on Stockton as it seemed like you were against who you know, really were an inferior team on paper, at least? In a word, yes. Yes. Uh, he, he's the top scorer in League One. And I think he's going through one of these purple patches in that, that every striker has in their career where everything he hits is going in the back of the net. Um, and that's not going to last forever. I expect there'll be bids for him in January. If he's here on the 1st of February, I'll be absolutely amazed personally. Uh, that's not with any inside information or anything. I just think potentially a championship club could come in if they offer a seven-figure sum, then the club will have to seriously consider it. He is our main goal-scoring threat. I don't want to say he's our only goal-scoring threat, but it's getting that way. He's got 16 goals. Our next scorer after that is a midfielder, Adam Phillips, who's got five. A couple of those are penalties. He can't even get in the team at the moment. And then we've got players on, on one and, and two goals between them. So... If you can keep Stockton quiet and Sunderland completely marks him out of the game on Tuesday, if you man-mark him and you do a really good tight job on him, then we will struggle to get the ball in the net, that's for sure. But that said, I'm sure you've seen the goal he scored from the halfway line against Fleetwood. I'm sure you've seen his 40-yard chip against Wimbledon, volley from the edge of box against Oxford. So he is scoring and he's shooting from literally anywhere on the field. So if he's got the ball into his feet and you whoever's marking him allows him to be rolled round and he's facing goal, he'll just take a shot. And uh, the way he's playing at the moment, it could go in. But if you can keep him quiet, then uh, you'll probably add to your defensive record. I was interested to, to to look through your stats. I think you've kept five clean sheets in your last seven league games, haven't you? So uh, that's, uh, that is a that is a significant worry for us, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, so the fact that Stockton Coles scores all sorts of goals is definitely another worry. You mentioned earlier... Some players are good enough for this league in your squad and some aren't. Can you highlight some of the most more notable names on both ends of the spectrum? <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's one midfielder that I saw that you have, Alfie McCalman, who played well yep. at Oldham last season. Has yep. he translated to League One football really yes, well? He has. He... Uh, he's been one of our real bright sparks this season, actually. Uh, he's, he's what I call a, a buzz of the bee, cover every blade of grass midfielder. He's, he's here, there and everywhere. He's, he's a number 10, he's out wide, he's back on the edge of our box, he, he's everywhere. He's got a great right foot. He probably could do with scoring a couple more goals to add to his great overall play. Um, but he is one bright spark. I think Leeds United are grooming him to be the the next Calvin Phillips when he inevitably moves on in the next couple of seasons. I'm not quite sure he's anywhere near that level just yet, but he's certainly one of our more creative and, and, and better players this season, that's for sure. Well, if you need um, any more players who aren't uh, maybe quite good enough to play in this division, I can think of a few we could let you, let you have online. Um, so what I'm going to do now is, Dave, we're going to get into the meaty bit of the show. And I'm going to ask for your score prediction for the game against Pompey and any goal scorers, please, Dave. I think I'm very worried about this one here, to be honest. Uh, and even more so having been absolutely annihilated against Sunderland on Tuesday. It was we were absolutely schooled, and it was it was absolutely embarrassing how we, how we played. We surely can't play that badly again. 
we've shown this season, as I've mentioned, that we can play against the bigger sides if we turn up. We've got pretty much a fully fit squad to choose from. One of our key central midfielders is back after suspension as well, Shane McLaughlin. So we are all hands to the pump in that regard. I think you will probably win the game. Hopefully you won't completely trounce us. I'm going to go Portsmouth 2, Morecambe 1. Really sorry to any Shrimps fans listening. All right. And who do you think is going to grab the goal for yourselves? I can't see much past Cole Stockton, to be honest. Um, it's one of these, if you mark him tightly, as I say, he, he won't get a kick. He only comes into, into the four where you give him a yard of space or you're allowing him to turn. If you can stick to him like glue, he won't get a kick of the ball all game. But uh, I think 2-1 and uh, you'll probably score a winner in, in the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. Okay, I think Pompey fans would take that. But Dave, thanks for coming to the show. Tell people where they can find you, listen to you and all about your podcast. Oh, thanks very much indeed, Hugh. So um, I am the main commentator for I Follow Shrimps and the local radio station on uh, on Beyond Radio. So uh, obviously you won't get that on the South Coast, uh, of course. But uh, we do a podcast afterwards called The Shrimps Verdict. I think we're up to episode 30 already for the season. That's on all the usual podcast providers. It's highlights of the game. It's reaction from inside the Shrimps camp a bit of waffle from myself, my co-commentator. And then uh, we usually preview the game coming up, just like we did uh, with uh, with Freddie a couple of days ago, which is in our current podcast. So uh, the Shrimps Verdict, uh, check it out for much more uh, Morecambe content if you would like to do so. Awesome. And of course, we'll reshare that again coming up for the episode you have with our very own Freddie Webb. But until then, Dave, it's been a pleasure coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Really looking forward to coming down to Fratton Park on Saturday, guys. I think it's one similar to Tuesday that uh, all Morecambe fans have been uh, had circled in their fixture calendar since they came out in the summer. So we're uh, very excited to be making the trip. And uh, thanks for having us on the podcast. Yeah, and I would say we'd recommend someone to go for a beer, but you'll be busy in the press box, I assume. Unfortunately, yes. Um, but I know Portsmouth's a great place to have a night out. So uh, maybe next time. Yeah, indeed. All right, Dave, thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much indeed, guys. All the best. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks, Dave, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat. I don't know about you, Freddie. Obviously, you already spoken to him before for the preview on their side as well. What did you think about Morecambe? Obviously, they got drummed 5-0 against Sunderland. We should be able to score some goals. And what really, really encouraging for me is the amount of goals they sit concede from set plays. We've talked about this on the podcast already. We can't score from corners, etc. This is the time, isn't it, for us to put 20 quid on Sean Rackett to get a goal against Morecambe. It definitely should be the time, shouldn't it? But no, um, it was great to have Dave on. It was great to go on his podcast as well. He gave some great insight into how Morecambe play and the players to look out for. Yeah, it's going to be very strange because obviously Morecambe have got a leaky defence, conceded the most goals in the league. Their, Their XG against is also very high along those lines. So it's not as if they're on a bad bit of variance. But but they've got they've got a striker who scored the most goals in the league, thirteen from nineteen, Cole Stockton. So it sounds simple, but it is going to rely on those two things. If Pompey can utilize Sean Raggett to man mark Stockton out the game, and then control the midfield, press aggressively, and play those intricate balls through the middle like they did against Sheffield Wednesday, they should be able to come out with a victory. But um, 
there's a, there's always a doubt. There's always a doubt, and the narrative at the moment is Pompey can't score goals. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. So it's, it sounds simple, doesn't it, Rob? Mark Stockton, man, mark him, stop him scoring three points. But is it that simple? Well, like like with uh, any striker, like in the mould of uh, Stockton, who, as we've seen, uh, has scored some brilliant goals this season. Um, it's it's nowhere near that simple. He he can score different kind of goals. His his movement's quite good in the box. Um, but if we can, as you say, if we can get one of the defenders, almost definitely ragged to 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 mark him out of the game, we're then in a much more beneficial position. And I also think this is kind of one of those games where if we were to get an early goal. To, obviously, the game will change massively, and you would think that we could we could end up winning fairly comfortably, um, based on Morecambe's defensive record, as as, as we've spoken about, um, and was mentioned by by Dave. But it, it's just it's one of those things that their weakness that Dave mentioned is defensively is also one of our key weaknesses going forwards. So it'll be interesting to see who sort of wins that battle on Saturday, whether it will be... Where's this Where's this narrative coming from of us being bad going forward? We've scored in nine of the last 10 games. From set pieces. Okay. That's specifically that... what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more like what Freddie's point was there about us, you know, not being, having the narrative of not scoring. Uh, it, it goes in line with the, just the amount of people saying, oh, we definitely need the striker. We definitely need the striker. Even though Pompey have created... scored in the nine high... of the last yeah, 10 I know. games. I know. Before the Sheffield Wednesday game, we'd scored in nine games in a row. Yeah. And the high, and the high, the high quality scoring chances have been there. Um, it's just, that's what, oh, that's what I'm hearing whenever I go down to Fratton Park. I don't really agree with it personally, but... That is definitely on the minds of some people. There is a narrative out there. We, we heard it when we were, we were standing in the back of the fraternity. And I think it's fair that in the last game, it was just the fact that we didn't convert our chances. But again, it was also a case that the keeper had an amazing game and, and made some cracking saves. But there is a narrative there. And it's still it's still on the level, Andy. Whether you agree with it or not, there's definitely you know, a I'm, saying, yeah, I'm asking where the narrative's coming from then because it's clearly bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Like if you look at the, the, the hard facts of it as to whether we're scoring goals or not, they are. We're scoring quite difficult goals, though, aren't we? Oh, who cares? Like, Mate, a goal's a goal. I don't care if it's difficult or not. Like, but I'm just what? trying to say, is that is that actually something that you can you can keep up doing? You know, can you can you rely on Marcus Harness to, to score worldy goal winning, you know, game winning goals at the death? I mean, I, I'd love to see that happen consistently. And if he does do that, he's going to fire us up the league and etc. But I'm not I'm not trying to be criticising the team at all in that sense, Andy. I'm just saying. There is a narrative, I suppose, the level of that can you play, that can you keep scoring those worldy goals from, you know, outside the box, etc. Is that is that sustainable, basically, for the rest of the season? To, to add to that as well, there is only one team in the top half that have scored less goals than us, and that's Burton. Yeah, but if we're grinding out results by one goal, I'm, I don't buy into this. I think we're on different pages here, lads. I think this is a load of rubbish, if I'm honest. Like, I'm, just, like, I'm just providing yeah, the a statistic there. I think not, the overall narrative is just flawed, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that 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 angle of it, but I mean, I, I do it, think I game do of think, opinions, right? 
Oh, yeah, no, but I'm not saying that we have a scoring issue. We were scoring some great goals. I think the narrative is just that can we keep that up and the way we are scoring? But look, I think Hurst is bringing the wingers into, well, not really the wingers now, but I'm going to say the forwards playing up front. He's bringing them into the game, which is providing quality chances. And Freddie said the high scoring chances are there because of that. So you could argue that, yes, that would be sustainable because we are creating chances up front off the stuff, the striker. That will continue. I think some people are just concerned that it's not sustainable. Whether you agree with that or not, is, is different. I don't agree, but I do agree we need to start putting away easier goals. And, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier on, Andy, we used to better rely on people scoring from corners and chipping in goals like that, defenders scoring goals as well. There needs to be a bit more of a, a team-based scoring, I suppose, from those easier set plays, from those corners. I mean, Dave was telling us that they were getting unstuck by teams, you know, scoring from corners after defending great and open play. So I think Pompey just needs to add that string to the bow and suddenly we look like a dynamic scoring team going forward. Do you agree? Um, not entirely, uh, but I think we're just beating a dead horse. If we all felt the same, it would be a very, very boring sport, wouldn't it? So, yeah, good to have opposing opinions. Start scoring from corners, Pompey. That's what I'm saying. And then we're, uh, we're, we're, doing, we're flying high, aren't we, boys? So, um, okay, so let's get into the meaty bit of the podcast. Let's get into the bit where we all make a shitty tit out of ourselves and get our score predictions going. Freddie, I already know what your score prediction is. So do you want to go first? Because you've already made it on the other podcast. So for people who haven't listened, what is your score prediction and goal scorers for the game against Morecambe? Yeah, I talked to this with, about, with Dave on Monday. Um, I think I still think it would be a tighter game than Dave's going to give him the shrimps credit for. Uh, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win, like I did on his podcast. I can't remember the goal scorer, as I said. I know that Stockton would score for Morecambe. But for Pompey, I'm going to go with a Hurst brace because he played very well against Sheffield Wednesday and he's going to convert his chances on Saturday. Absolutely love that. That would be absolutely awesome. I, I believe, because I listened to it more recently probably than you, you did say a Kieran Freeman brace, but I'll, I'll let you off on that one there, Fred. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> no. I literally don't remember. <laughs> no. no, you'd be off the podcast if you said that. No, joking. Now Freeman's going to score two, isn't he? No, I said that. So, Andy Mitchmore, what's your score prediction? I do think there'll be a bit of a bounce back from Morecambe because they've had a, well, a pretty bad run of games and they got trounced Tuesday night. They got absolutely demolished. So I'd expect some sort of reaction. But I do think Pompey will have too much for them. Um, I'd go 3-1. I think it'll be 2-1 for part of the game and then Pompey will score the third while Morecambe chasing late on. I think it's going to be difficult to shut Stockton down for the full 90. I think it's likely he's going to get a half chance and bury it. It's what he did against Buxton where he literally had one chance in the entire first half, one look in and, and buried it. I think there's a chance he'll do that to us. But um, going forward... Like I say, I don't buy into this sort of, sort of worry about not being able to score goals at the moment. So I, th- I think it'll be 3 1 Pompey. Rob, let's hear it then. What's your score prediction and your goal scorers for the game? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I think it could be one of the sort of games where we get an early goal and we end up winning fairly comfortably. Uh, so I'm going to go with a 3 0 Pompey win. Um, and I think it'll be, I think Harness will get one. Curtis will get one and Hurst will get one. So that was my prediction. I was going to go for a 3-0 win, but instead I'm going to go for a 3-1 Pompey win with Stockton getting a late consolation goal. So, oh, you say 3-1, Andy. Oh, fucking hell. All right. Do you know what? I'm just going to agree with Rob. I'm going to go, I'm just going to back him. 
three nil. Three nil Pompey. That was my original one. Why am I trying to change it to be different? I'm going to go three nil Pompey. Uh, I, I think we need to try and work on on this corners in the training ground. Someone's got a someone's got a head on it. And then I think we're going to come back two goals. I'm going to go with a goal from Marcus Harness, George Hurst, and one from Shawnee Raggett for a three nil. Pompey win. I do. I do see what people are saying about a bounce back from from Morecambe after the game against Sunderland. But you concede five; they are leaky, and I do think we've got the ability to score some goals, especially after being quite unlucky, as I said, not getting some goals past the keeper at Sheffield Wednesday. So I can see this at home being a three 0 Pompey win. I mean, you, about the bounce back, just sort of go against my own point. You'd have expected them to bounce back after losing four 0 at home to MK Dons. And they bounce back from that with a 5-0 defeat away against Sunderland. So the bounce doesn't always happen, does it? Does not. Although bounce around if you're fucking cold is all I can say to that. Um, Freddie, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, mate. Always a pleasure. Nice to be on and uh, chat to everybody as usual. Andy, welcome back, bro. Thanks. Nice of you to actually remember me. That's how I know that I'm genuinely welcome back when you remember me at the end of the pod. (laughs) Uh, Good to be back, mate. Yeah, thanks. And until next time, no, you're right, Rob. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. It's been great to be back. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure my next visit won't be uh, another 67 league games time. Yeah, we'll see you in 2023, Rob. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> if we're still going in 2023, Honestly, we'll, be, we'll be complaining about a League One playoff defeat in May 2024, and Rob will be coming back on absolutely raging. We'll be singing "We Are Staying Up" after a, a great escape from the bottom of League One. <laughs> Anyway, until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.